Welcome to Something to Eat and Something to Read, a podcast about cooking and reading and reading about cooking. I'm food writer Sophie Hansen, coming to you from the farm I share in central western New South Wales with my family and many, many cookbooks. And I'm Jermaine Lee, a psychotherapist and bibliotherapist coming to you from the city of Sydney, where I live with my family, many, many novels and a few cookbooks. I am so happy that we are finally doing this, Jermaine. It's been a while in the making, this podcast together, hasn't it? It has, and I wish we could be doing this face-to-face like we first thought we would be. And we will be in the future, hopefully. But um, this is the next best thing, isn't it? Like for everyone, that we can still be connected even though we're not sitting next to each other. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, so we are beyond thrilled to bring you guys this brand new podcast, celebrating the joy of connection that we all get from cooking and reading. But before we get into it, I just wanted to tell you the story behind the name of this podcast, because I know it's a bit wordy, but it really does say exactly what we want it to be about. So it comes via um, a good friend Mm -hmm. of mine's mum who lived out in um, Western New South Wales on a big property and her mantra for life was never leave the house without something to um, eat and something to read. And I heard that and I quickly adopted it as my mantra as well. And I just love the idea of her going out for big days of mustering or sitting around holding gates open or doing whatever um, with a basket full of a thermos of tea, something good to eat and a book to read while she's waiting. And I know that, Jermaine, you feel the same way about the nourishment mm. we get from both cooking and reading. Yeah, and I, I just love that story too and that image of being out on your own but not lonely thanks to reading and um, having something to eat cooked by someone for you. And it was actually reading that uh, brought you and I together a few years ago, um, Sophie, when you wanted to interview me about bibliotherapy and and really what that whole world of reading for emotional nourishment was. And it's brought us back together now because coincidentally we've both published a book in the same month this year that is actually about friendship and connection. Yes. So my book, Reading the Seasons, uh, is that book of letters between fellow bibliotherapist Sonia Sakalakis and myself. And really it was about how our friendship was built on our love of reading and our conversations about books. And then Ingle Company, um, your latest recipe book is all about bringing together people to enjoy a meal and um, reminding us how friendships are also built on a shared meal and conversations that we have during that meal. So I think these are the conversations that we're really looking forward to uh, expanding on in this podcast, aren't they? Absolutely. And especially now because we are all separated from our friends and our families and um, we can't sit at tables mm. with them. So we, what we can do is is read about shared tables and plan for a future where, which is full of them. But um I, yeah, as I said, I'm just so excited to, I really, I think I said to Jermaine before we started recording, we're going to have to be careful about our time here because I think both of us could spend many hours um, talking about our favorite um, books about cooking and cooking bits in books, but we'll have to restrict ourselves, I think. (laughs) Um, So this, our very first episode, (laughs) is brought to you by Wonder and Cherish, an honest, accessible and considered guide for families who travel or explore the world with children. Find out more over on Instagram at Wonder and Cherish, and we're going to hear from Megan from Wonder and Cherish at the end of this episode, and she's got some beautiful um, mm. recommendations and things to share with us. So the way our podcast is going to work is Sophie and I are going to start by talking, out a book, talking about a book we've both um, read, 
And perhaps more importantly, the shape that books left on us. Um, Virginia Woolf had this idea about books leaving shadow shapes, which has really captivated me. This thought that um, there's a shape of the book when we read it and there's a shape of our lives as we're um, reading it that contributes to the memories that book leaves. And uh, I think this is probably what will be, something I'll be talking about more in a way than the book, but what actually the book's done for us. And after that, we're going to be answering a letter from a listener. And those letters might be about something you're about to celebrate or something that you're missing in your life at the moment or any kind of emotion that you're going through or stage of life you're going through. And Sophie and I will read them and then I'll prescribe a book to read and Sophie will prescribe a recipe to cook. And that's how it will work. Yeah. I can't wait. This is so much fun. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just wanted to go back before because I'd never thought of a book leaving a shape on you before I met you. Mm. And I, gosh, it's resonated with me. And now I'm reading um, lots of, well, actually, I'm reading Still Life at the moment by Sarah Winman, which mm. the shape that I'm in right now is is complete wanderlust, like I'm desperate to travel and it has completely <laughs> filled that for me. So um Thank you for sharing that idea of, um, I guess, that concept of looking at books, and it's something we are going to talk a lot about in the um, incoming episodes and today. Mm. Similar to what you feel, similar to what you feel about uh, shared meals, isn't it? You talk mm. about the shape of the day that that meal took place under, the weather, the the table linen, or the laughter, or the wine that we it, and all those things impact our reading too, doesn't it? Um, when you oh, think for about. Sure the time of year you read a book you can be taken back yeah exactly and still life is next on my shelf oh it's really I'm just absolutely adored it and I'm actually keep looking at a map of Florence and looking up various streets and piazzas that she mentions and it's taking me back but anyway the book that we're actually here to talk about today is not still life it's um <laughs> uh Nora Ephron's heartburn which I'm particularly fond mm. of so just as a little quick synopsis, um, Heartburn is about uh, Rachel and Mark, written in Rachel's voice. She's a cookbook writer and he's a columnist living in Washington, D.C. And the story starts when she's seven months pregnant with her with their second child and she discovers Mark's having an affair. Um, and then we deal with the fallout during the book. And I think from the moment it was published, it was an open secret that it was a thinly disguised novel based on the end of Nora's marriage to Carl Bernstein, the famous Washington Post journalist who broke the Watergate scandal. I don't think I understood that context when I first came across this, which was through the movie in the 80s um, starring Meryl Streep and uh, Jack Nicholson. So I think I would have only been about 14 and the shape that movie left on me was that it was a love story, um, quite ironically, given how mm. I feel about now. But um, it was a love story and I was just left with that image of them sitting in bed in the middle of the night sharing that massive bowl of pasta, eating from the same bowl and thinking that was extremely adult and romantic. And um, I hadn't actually read it until we decided to read it for this now and it's interesting reading it now in my 40s, you know, 22 years into marriage. And I was thinking, actually, as I was walking up the hill earlier to get a coffee before this, that um, if I'd read this book when I was pregnant in the middle with toddlers, 
I, it would have left a very different shape on me. I think I would maybe feel very vulnerable and sad. Mm. Reading it now, I really love the humour and the reflection and all the things we're going to talk about. But And I also had Meryl's voice narrating it in my head, which left more of a comic feel to it than the sorrow underneath it. But what about you, Sophie? What, um, what shape were you left with? Well, I first read Heartburn a couple of years ago and then I listened to the audio version last month, um, which Meryl Streep reads, and I cannot recommend that experience enough. She mm. Obviously she's reprising her role for mm. the movie, but she performs that narration so beautifully and with so much warmth and humour. And um, mm. I guess when I first read it, <laughs> I was just starting out as a food writer. I think I just had a, my first book published. And to me, the shape it was, it was more just that idea of um, how she saw the, the world and people through dishes and memories of um, that key lime pie mm. or potatoes. Or, so, and, and that really resonated with me. So I think the other thing that I, that it, reading it as a, a woman in her 40s as well with young children, it's just the ultimate revenge novel, I think, you know, because really it's a massive burn on <laughs> her former husband. Um, and I think, yeah. you know, at the end of it, I, I probably if I'd read it when I was younger, like you, I'd have just completely adored that scene of the pastor in bed and how she twirls it on the fork and it's just so glamorous mm. and sophisticated. The idea that you just like, go into the kitchen at 4am and rustle up this huge pot of delicious <laughs> carbonara after a lot of lovemaking. You know, I just thought, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I really, I really enjoy this book. It's it's a book that I dip in and out of quite a lot. I really love the way she writes about food mm. and and when, the way that Meryl um, mm. narrates the recipes in the audiobook is just, to me, one of the most relaxing things to me in life, it's a weird thing I have, mm. is hearing people talk through a recipe. I find that really um, soothing. Yeah. <laughs> I just love it. So I, I enjoy that. It reminds it me of another sense, book. It makes actually, doesn't it? Because it's very mindful. It is mindful. And there's a Sorry, beginning. I was thinking the steps of a recipe must be yeah. in order. Mm. It is. And there's a beginning and there's a middle and there's an end and you know you know that formula, so you know what's coming, and it's just yeah, it's quite um, it's quite soothing. There's a podcast I love called Play Me a Recipe, uh, that Food Fifty Two does, and that's basically oh, what they do, and I just adore it. Um, so I was actually just going to mention before, Heartburn sits up in my bookshelf next to another favorite book of the same era, written in the early eighties, I think, um, by Laurie Colwyn called Home Cooking, and if you like Heartburn, uh-huh. you'll love Home Cooking as well. She has that okay. beautiful warmth as well and wit and um oh yeah it's just she's got like whole chapters mm. on cooking disasters and things so yeah it's really great so um, um obviously oh, okay. a huge big it's, fan a, it's of, a memoir is it or is it it's a collection of short sure, sort of collection of essays or? no it's a collection of essays really about food um with recipes in them so there's um there's ones about cooking okay. disasters there's I've only read about, one of her books yeah, which one? There, she's got one. Um, right. Yeah, I've only happy yeah. with happiness in the title. It's happy all, all the time. Happy all the time. Yeah, that's it. Happy all the time mm. about two couples, and um, yeah, it, it has a similar feel. I mean, I again, the shape that's left with me is this one line of um, it's not gossip. I like to call it emotional speculation, which I just <laughs> always just stays <laughs> with me as a lovely way to. 
make yourself <laughs> feel better about gossip. No, no, it's emotional speculation. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But, I um, love that. Yes, I see what you mean about the style. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think um, how you said just before food describing people so well or describing how she's feeling. I think that's actually what makes this book so charming is um, Nora, I was going to say Meryl, my gosh, Nora's <laughs> ability to um, describe so clearly relationships using food. And so like I was thinking about, um, she's thinking about ex-boyfriends and the boyfriend who taught her how to make mushrooms is buttered just the right temperature. And whenever she makes a mushroom, she thinks of him. And uh, also how there's a guy that scrambled eggs with sour cream and given she never uses a sour cream she never uh, thinks of him and all the ways you can suddenly be brought back to a memory of a person through things that they cook and it just made me it reminded me of my uh my nana used to when my sister and I were kids make us tuna mornay but she'd sprinkle Smith's chips on top for a bit of crunch and salt and um we just loved it (laughs) <laughs> it's like catnip for kids that treat. dish I think <laughs> and I did yeah <laughs> and um we yes and particularly when you put the crisps on top mm. so I um have done that for my kids all the time and actually I even that last Easter I think I did it as a joke but they all got their chips and crinkles on top you know now they range from 17 to 12 and they're still doing it but every time I get the chips out of the packet I just think of my nana and um, it's just such a lovely uh, reminder of her, even though she's been dead for nearly 30 years now. But what about you? Have you got any food memories? Uh, yeah. Uh, connected with many. people just like this? Many, many, but I guess mine is my gran as well. Um, and uh, actually two, both my grandparents, my my paternal granny used to make this um, thing called nuts and bolts. I don't know if you remember if you've ever had nuts and bolts, but it's like made with Nutri-Grain, that cereal and peanuts. And it's like really bad. Oh my gosh. We used to just go straight to her kitchen. and (laughs) There's always a jar of nuts and bolts. And please, please, can we have some? My maternal Uh. grandmother, um, like this is kind of ultimate comfort food, but uh, she'd make chicken pancakes for us when we were kids. So basically you just poach a whole chicken, shred the meat, fold it through a white sauce, wrap it in these thin pancakes that she'd make and then kind of tuck them all Mm. in a baking dish and smother the whole lot in more white sauce and parmesan on top and bake it. And they lived in the Blue Mountains and we would often visit them on the way through to the country on a Friday night. And I remember arriving and it was cold and Lura on a you know, wintry night and we'd walk into the house and the smell of those chicken pancakes bubbling mm. away would just hit you like this huge big hug. And, yeah, it's a really fun memory. And now I actually, um, it's my dear friend Sam and my daughter Alice, who um, it's her goddaughter, uh, it's their all-time favourite dish. So uh, it's something that I make for mm. them every birthday and um, mm. they love it as well. So it's just one of those dishes that, it's real nursery food. It's real comfort food. Um, and one more, if I may. It I, is. I was going to say there's a common theme of. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was going to well, say there's a common theme here of the white sauce, isn't there? I know. I know. And I, I do kind of sometimes get embarrassed about that. But it, it is sort of 
true, a true thing in life that you put anything in white sauce and children will just adore it. Um, it's just, it's real comfort food. Um, <laughs> and another white sauce dish is my mum's lasagna. She uh, is famous for her lasagna. It's the uh, thing my kids look forward to every time we visit. Um, and it reminded me, have you heard of Ella mm. Riz Bridger? She wrote um, a book called Midnight Chicken a couple of years ago, mm. um, which is, oh, my God. Yes. Speaking yeah. of beautiful food writing, um, yeah. it's up there. But she recently posed on Instagram. And grief. Beautiful oh, and grief, yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's a book we probably should talk about in a future episode, I think. Um, but in her Instagram mm. just last week she posted mm. a. Definitely. Yeah, I'd love to. She posted a pic about a, of a lasagna with the caption, the thing is in life you can be a whinge or you can shut up and make a lasagna that's bigger than God. And I loved that quote and it really did remind me of my mum as well. Mum's not one for whinging, so it <laughs> it made me laugh. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I loved it. Again, it's um, putting emotions into food, isn't it? Um, 100%. Yeah, you can be a whinge or you can just put all that into making a big lasagna and and work it through and I think that's what heartburn does so beautifully is yeah I'm not going to bitch and moan about Thelma Rice this woman who's had an affair but I am going to say that um she doesn't really care about food that was clear from her gluey puddings is one of I my favorite that. lines yeah. in that book <laughs> and yeah you don't need to say anything more about Thelma except that if she makes a gluey pudding and therefore she's obviously mm. a failure as a person Yes. That's kind of the, the image she gives, isn't it? Yeah. I love that. And then, <laughs> meanwhile, in contrast, there's Rachel who makes this vinaigrette that's just so spectacular. Mark will never leave her um, because he'll never get the vinaigrette again. So, just like the antithesis of the, how, yeah, food makes her the perfect woman and Thelma the, the you know, the disaster. So, mm. although it doesn't work out that way, does it? But, um, I love that when Mark asks her for the vinaigrette, she um, doesn't give it to him because she figures her vinaigrette's the only thing she has that Thelma doesn't, um, which made me laugh. It then made me think, oh, God, I don't know, actually, if there's anything food-wise I have that Stuart, my husband Stuart, wouldn't um, would say if had the choice. And so I actually asked him while we were folding the washing yesterday and he <laughs> laughed and said, I actually think... Um, there'd be a whole new world of legumes for me to explore if we weren't married because <laughs> I can't stand legumes and never cook with them. So Fair anyway, I'm sure that's not the case in your marriage. So, <laughs> um, well, I, I also, actually, I asked the whole family at dinner this last night, um, you know, if I was to, you know, fall off the perch t tomorrow what would you miss most about my cooking and um <laughs> tim said my chicken pie which um is a recipe in my book a basket by the door uh -huh. which um is a real labor of love and, yes, and i've I made think, that a few times yeah it's one of those dishes that you can like you really can taste the love in it like you've made the pastry you've made the chicken you know um my daughter al said said the chicken pancakes of course and tommy said lamb roast so again <laughs> You know, we can kind of experiment with all the fanciest sort of new flavours and whiz-bang um, techniques in the world, but ultimately I think what we all want from our family food is that those sort of repeated, comforting, good, generous, tasty dishes, you know, and I think that's what I love most about food. I think the other thing that you're describing, all those dishes, is labour of love like all those dishes take time yeah um to put together and yeah is it so much the taste or is it the fact that 
that lamb roast has been mm. pre- lovingly prepared and cooked for hours or as you say the chicken pie with all its steps there's a whole lot of thinking uh that goes into the cooking which maybe yeah. creates more of a love language too Oh, it's exactly what I was about to say, you know, like I think mm-hmm. when I put a chicken pie on the table, um, Tim knows that I've done it because I know he loves it, you know, and, and that's a real gesture, isn't it, that you've mm. made a specific thing for someone because mm. you know that that will make them happy. Um, and I love, I do love um, mm. at the very beginning of Heartburn when she makes that carbonara and they have it in bed and he says to her, when we're married, you're going to cook this for me every week. And I think they'd only been dating a week or maybe they'd just met, I'm not sure. But you could just see this beautiful, and especially I'm thinking of the scene in the film, but I imagine it in the book as well, when Meryl just sort of catches her breath, you know, at the beginning when you're dating someone then they say something like that that sort of implies that this is not just a fling. And, And she says something really sweet and vulnerable, like I don't do this for everyone, you know, like this isn't something I always do, this is special this pasta for you and I just thought it reminded me of those early days you know of dating when it's all a bit and you you know you make something and you think oh god have I gone too far have I made too much of an effort or not enough or and I just thought it was a really sweet vulnerable moment yeah the few romantic moments actually between Mark and Rachel Mm. in the book before it all goes to pot (laughs) so to speak well true although maybe then the most romantic at the end where we discover she does give him the vinaigrette recipe that's the ultimate sacrifice I know and such kindness yep I can move on yeah and I can't believe that last scene that last meal she cooks for him you know she's got a baby still in hospital Mm. I can't remember what's the baby got jaundice or the baby's fine but still in hospital and a toddler and she's leaving her husband the next morning and she whips up a bouillabaisse and a salad and I actually Mm. remember reading this and she talks about this menu the last meal a bouillabaisse a salad in between and um, a creme caramel, and I thought the idea of having the salad in between was very mm. sophisticated as well, not just plonked down, mixed in with everything <laughs> else. And then she gives him the bouillon, the vinaigrette recipe, and it was this beautiful gesture of a farewell meal that they had together. Mm. Which I'm not sure I'd be such mm. a big a big person to actually go to that much effort for a philander like Mark. But anyway, <laughs> true. There was, again, she, her emotions all came through her cooking. There was, yeah, mm. kindness, forgiveness, uh, yeah. understanding, all mm. those things were in that last meal. Mm. I know, I know. Um, yeah, the mm. other thing I love about um, Nora slash Rachel is her love of potatoes. Can I just read this quote? I love this quote <laughs> where she says, um, mm. I have friends I have friends who begin with pasta and friends who begin with rice, but whenever I fall in love, I begin with potatoes. Sometimes meat and potatoes, sometimes fish and potatoes, but always potatoes. I have made a lot of mistakes in falling in love and regretted most of them, but the pota- but never the potatoes that went with them. I just love that. <laughs> never regret potatoes. Yeah, yeah. No, no. And and my favourite uh, quote from um, A.A. Milne, you know, who wrote Winnie the Pooh, is um, if a gentleman likes potatoes, he must be a pretty decent sort of fellow. Um, yeah, always thought. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing better than potatoes. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, I think ultimately, just yeah, capping off on what we're saying about her using um, humor and food to talk about this really, obviously, um, a really difficult time in her life. 
Um, I, in my copy of the book, I actually had an introduction that Nora wrote 25 years after publishing it. And she talks about how she can, if she tells the story, she can control the version. So there's this quote, I'll read it out to you. Um, if I tell the story, I can make you laugh. And I would rather have you laugh at me than feel sorry for me. Because if I tell the story, it doesn't hurt as much. Because if I tell the story, I can get on with it. Mm. And I found that really poignant because it reminded me of um, the Danish author Karen Blixen's quote about all sorrows can be born if we put them in a story or tell a story about them. And it's very much what therapy does. You know, sometimes people come to therapy and they're this huge bundle of emotional mess that they can't name or understand. and being able to sit with a therapist and start naming those feelings it's actually quite similar to what we see in with writers or poets you know that feeling of you read a, a line of poetry and like oh, it exactly describes how I'm feeling and I think therapy sort of does the same thing and once they're able to name those feelings and emotions and put them into a coherent narrative with a beginning middle and end there's um, a sense of calm because they've got this new sense of understanding and I think uh, Nora was able to achieve that by using uh, food to kind of explore those emotions she was feeling and maybe that's why we both found that last scene of giving him the vinaigrette recipe and creating that meal so poignant because there was a real sense of you can do this and then I can move on. Mm. I love that and I love that um, sense of taking control of your story by 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 writing it down or putting it into words or just telling a therapist or um, otherwise it's, it's hard to sort of navigate through if it's just a big tangle mess, as you say, of emotion. Um, so I really like that mm. idea of sifting through all mm, the different completely. threads of the, our worries. And something I didn't realise that I was did some research for our conversation and I found out that um, both Nora's parents were actually screenwriters in the 50s and... Um, mm. And her mum used to famously say to her and her sisters, I think there were three Efron sisters, possibly four, I should have checked that, everything ah, is okay. everything is copy, she used to say to them. So these days with social media they say everything is content. <laughs> Back then it was everything was copy. And um, I read somewhere <laughs> that Nora would describe the dinner table at the Efron house um, you know, you couldn't just tell you tell everybody what happened at school that day. You had to turn it into a story that would hold everybody's attention and make it a bit funny. And and I can just imagine them all kind of taking uh-huh. turns to hold court. But it really, okay, I guess you can see where the storyteller that she became comes from. And um, yeah, and even her ex husband Carl said in an interview about the book. Uh, he said, obviously, I wish Nora hadn't written the book because it was loosely based on him, but I've always known she writes about her life. Nora goes to the supermarket <laughs> and she uses it for material. <laughs> so obviously she was quite famous for it. <laughs> um, yeah, I so- think um, she actually made a comment in the introduction that um, she thinly, she did disguise her husband. She gave him a beard oh. to a friend or something, which I thought was really funny. It was, yeah. That's the only difference. <laughs> yeah, well, I think fair enough. You know, if, as you say, it's her, it's her life. She can write about it. So I think um, I feel like we've kind of covered heartburn. I mean, we could 
talk about it till the cows come home. Mm. But um, we might move on to the second part of our podcast. Before we get on to our letter, we're just going to throw to Christy Reading, who is our beautiful producer here. She is going to tell us a little bit about a book that means a lot to her and the shape that it left on her. Christy, you might know her voice. She is been, has been with the ABC for a long time. And we're going to hear from Christy now and, um, <laughs> and then we'll be back with our letter. Hi, and thanks so much for having me. But, you know, with a last name like reading, I mean, how could you not? (laughs) So a book that means a lot to me in terms of falling in love and out of. Well, this suggestion's a little bit different. Sure, it talks about romantic love, but also the love of our family, our friends, strangers and humankind. It's called My Year of Living Vulnerably by the Saturday paper journalist and author Rick Morton. You might be familiar with his debut book, 100 Years of Dirt, another really great read. But this one, it's about, yeah, you guessed it, vulnerability, something that not many of us are comfortable in being particularly when it comes to L-O-V-E. But this book, it's a memoir. It's Rick's experience rediscovering love after some pretty awful childhood experiences and keeping the emotion, that feeling of love, at bay, at a distance for some time. You're really getting the feeling, reading this book, that you're sitting in the front seat with Rick on this ride. This book is about finding love, about yearning for love, trying to open ourselves up to love. It's about hiding away from it, being comfortable with it, and trying to, what can sometimes be the hardest, love ourselves. It's a tough read at times, dealing with some tough topics and some of Rick's devastating experiences. But is it worth it? Yeah, absolutely. Rick's writing is warm, he's funny and friendly, and it left me feeling pretty hopeful for humankind. So, like love, I think my year of living vulnerably is worth pursuing. Thanks, Christy. Okay, our first letter for our first episode. This letter's actually come to us from regional Victoria. And Sophie, do you want to read it out for us? Yeah, sure. Hello, I'm three months into life with two under two-ish. Breastfeeding on demand has me addicted to my phone again. I try to get us all out into the garden and ground myself in nature, but that isn't always possible these days. So my favourite coping mechanism isn't always a good option, especially as we cycle through endless colds and daycare bugs. So I guess I'm looking for a book that will draw me away from tech and TV in the evenings and get me excited about the early nights I desperately need. And maybe a recipe I can enjoy cooking with my toddler or something restorative for my weary self. Thank you. P.S. My sister and sister-in-law are both welcoming new babes this winter, so we'll all be in this together. I'm also part of a local mum's book club with women of all ages and stages. Promise to share the love if this situation is one other listeners can relate to and you're able to answer. It's um, just so relatable, isn't it? Those um, (laughs) early months and years of toddlers and babies and, and also that loss of identity. Or, you know, you're gaining so many new identities that can kind of then muffle like who you know the weary self I I loved her use of Mm. that term I think there's such a weariness that goes alongside those early days Mm. I I couldn't agree more in fact I had an email this morning from a lovely woman who I used to be in mother's group with um 14 years ago and Mm. she was like oh do you remember me and I and I do but I also remember 
going to those weekly mothers group meetings in town and just it was such a a fog of I, I don't know like it's it's just such a foggy time and a special time mm. and, and I I look back on it really fondly but you do find you're just readjusting your your whole view of yourself and your place in the world and suddenly you've got this huge mm. responsibility mm. all the time and 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 two under two my goodness so I um I really appreciate what she's saying and that idea of having something to read that you're excited to get in bed and and that really takes you mm. somewhere. So I'm I'm very keen to hear what book you're going to prescribe for her. And uh... <laughs> I um was really struck actually by her self awareness about how nature and working in her garden really grounds her. And so when I thought of a book, I was thinking about a book that could keep her in that feeling of groundedness throughout the evening maybe while she's, while she's eating the food you're going to prescribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've chosen a memoir and it's called Where the Hornbeams Grow, A Journey in Search of a Garden, and it's by Beth Lynch. Uh, so it's a memoir about creating a garden in Switzerland. Beth and her husband live in England and moved to Switzerland for his work and she suffers extreme loneliness. Uh, and I actually felt that, the way she describes, she hasn't got children, but the way she describes having to move to a different country reminded me of suddenly becoming a mother for the first time and the culture shock, the new language, as you said, like almost a jet lag feeling of going to mother's group with those tiny babies, the new relationships you have to make. And and what helps best with this transition is grounding herself in the memories of her childhood garden back in England and then when they buy a house creating a new one and uh, I wanted to read you this quote that uh, when she buys the house she writes I believe that if I had a garden now a green space to tend I could put down roots and belong to something be okay and it reminded me as well that gardening is a wonderful metaphor for motherhood and growing children and tending to plants and and tending to a family Um, and she also writes the garden is its own place and reveals things on its own terms it teaches me how little I know and it teaches me about belonging I belong to the garden and I think my biggest lesson so far in motherhood uh, which will be nearly 18 years next month actually it's frightening um, Mm -hmm. is how little I know and that's actually a really safe place to parent from, I think, and, and going with the flow and and just tending and supporting and helping things grow. So I really hope this book is a book that will be able to make our letter writer feel excited or grounded about the evenings when she's not able to get out in the garden mm. um, and be there for uh, and be there and with her children there. You can tell me what you think of that book and then I'm curious to hear about your recipe. Oh, well, thank you for that recommendation. I'm really keen to read that myself. I'm not a, a great gardener. I enjoy being in the garden, but I'm, I, I really do know very little about gardening and parenting. Um, but mm. as you say, it's a good place to do both <laughs> from because what it means, I guess, is that you um, are open to learnings from other people and also, I guess, your garden and your kids teach you as much as you impart on them um Mm. so I think that's really lovely and I can't wait to read that actually um I found reading during lockdown has brought me more pleasure than um 
it normally does because it's taking me to all kinds of places. So this one, mm. um, this one will be a good new place mm. to go. Um, okay, so the recipe that I mm. suggest is is a really simple one, but I think simple is good at this stage in your life. It's a chicken Herrera soup, which is very very mm. nourishing. Um, and Herrera soup is a is a very um, important and classic dish in um, sort of North African or well, Moroccan cuisine, I guess, and and very restorative as part of their food culture. So this one has chicken in it, but you can absolutely leave the chicken out or um, lamb uh, is delicious as well. But what I love about it is that it's it's very, it doesn't ask much of the cook. It's just it's some sweating, some onions and herbs and some butter and then some spices and then you add the chicken and lentils and chickpeas and tomatoes and it just sort of blips away on the stovetop calmly and it it's really ready quite with a sort of 10 minutes of hands-on time. But what it means is you've got this, vat of deliciousness and it is so yummy and hearty um you can just sort of scoop a bowl full at the end of the day when you're exhausted and just have it on the couch with your book or you can kind of pimp it up a bit Mm. with a pile of fresh herbs and lemon juice and chilies and some yummy toast some turkish bread maybe and have it as a special meal or your children will love it because it's really mild so it's just one of those very generous meals um, and comforting because it's so easy. Mm. So I'm actually making it for dinner tonight and I'd forgotten what a lovely thing it is to cook because it also fills the kitchen up with the most beautiful smells. Um, it smells a bit exotic uh. and interesting. So I I hope that um, mm. you enjoy this, uh, dear letter writer. And also everybody else, we're going to put the recipes and all the recommendations and everything in our show notes. So um, you might like to try that mm. recipe and that book as well. And I think, um, again, you know, just thinking about the smells of the kitchen while you're cooking the meal, that's part of the shape of the meal too, isn't it? Um, yes. That's going to create some sense of grounding in the day as well mm. and an entryway into um, an, a new meal time. and, yeah. And I think just taking... That sounds delicious. Well, yeah, it is yummy. And, and I think... Um, what I always try to do, and, and I really encourage people who say, oh, I don't really love cooking, is give yourself time. You know, this recipe doesn't take a huge amount of time, but try and be, it's such a cliche, but do try and be kind of in the moment a bit, you know, as you're cooking those onions down in that butter mm. and then you add the turmeric and the cumin and the cinnamon, the smells that just steam up at you. Um, enjoying those processes, uh, it can be like the actual act of cooking can really give us so much that rather than just something we have mm. to race, race through because I know we're always against the clock, but it has to be done so we may as well enjoy it, I feel. Yeah, so, well, and I think you know, cooking and gardening are grounding in the same way actually because they're mm. using all the senses like you're saying. I mean, it's the easiest, the way to lessen panic is to start using our senses to bring us back to the moment and, just, you know, what you said then about melting the butter and then adding the, spices and and really taking the time to smell them is an instant stress reliever because suddenly you're completely in that kitchen in this moment and you're okay and Mm -hmm. uh I think that that's true in the garden too when you've got your hands in the soil and the sound Mm -hmm. of the bird you know you're using all those senses to just remind yourself I'm here right in this moment and I'm actually okay and I think yeah lockdown is such a heavy constant chronic feeling of stress and anxiety and those little moments and pauses in our day when we can just um and, or it can be in the reading the words in the book too obviously of just going but right this second I'm okay can mm. can really help I'd love to know what you think as well about um because obviously cooking and gardening are, are, are active you're doing you're chopping you're 
weeding, you're planting. Whereas reading is, you know, it's not passive, I guess, because your mind is active, but you're not actively or physically using Mm. all those senses. How how Mm. do you get the pleasure and the joy? What does reading do for you when you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, I guess? Well, I think it's grounding in a different way, isn't it? Because it Mm. takes you away, like you were saying about still life and suddenly you're in Florence. Um, Mm. And, yeah, you're right. It's passive in your body. You're in your chair or you're sitting still, but you're actively engaged in your imagination and you're actively in someone else's consciousness and Mm. you start seeing different ways of being or living that are separate from this one way you've got in your head at that time so and I know we're planning to do um episodes about you know psychological thrillers and those sorts of books Mm. but I I still am trying to work out why I if I'm particularly stressed I will lose myself in a thriller or a book that's and it's almost a reminder that there's something or or actually I was thinking the other day actually when I finished another thriller I wonder if it's a way of um, discharging some adrenaline that mm. I'm feeling, but through a book that's scarier than, you know, what's happening now. Or um, So I think it's that active use of the imagination that takes you, it gives you a break from your reality, whatever that may mm. be, mm. Um, but is, is not the same as that distraction of just scrolling mindlessly through social media or, because you're actually engaging a different part of your brain. Yeah, and I love you once described to me bibliotherapy. One, I mean, it's multifaceted, but one element of it is that it allows you to put your life experience into context and see it reflected in Mm. other people's experience and see how they've moved through a certain Mm. stage or phase. And I that really resonated with me as well. I think... We are almost at the end of our episode. I really could keep chatting with you um, for a long, long time, but we've got many episodes to to continue these conversations with. Before we finish off, I, I wanted to um, share a few minutes of listening. Um, Megan from Wander and Cherish, who's the very first sponsor of this show, and we're so grateful to Megan for taking a leap of faith of um, reaching out to us and and volunteering to to come mm. on board and, and be a sponsor, and and really which lets us put this podcast together she used to work in a bookshop herself and she's a mum of two young children so I think she is going to share a recommendation as well for our listener and something to cook as well um, and she really is in the weeds as well so I think mm. she'll have a very um, uh, on on the point recommendation for us Megan from Wonder and Cherish and I'm really excited to be sponsoring this podcast. I set up my social to try and uncover as many parent hacks as possible to help me navigate family life in the Central West. I also wanted to support as many local businesses as possible while doing so because in this day and age if you can shop anywhere in the world why wouldn't you shop local? So I split my time between answering the cries of a newborn baby and being terrorized by my sleep resistant toddler. It's safe to say I have hardly any time to myself and it's really hard to create moments of downtime for self-care. When I do, it revolves around food and books. I would love to say I have as much time in the world to dive in as many books that I see on my shelf that I really want to read, but I don't. So when I do get a moment to myself, I'm flicking through Galah 
an incredible magazine that celebrates regional Australia. It's like a modern voice from the bush and it's amazing. And when I have downtime and I can make a cup of tea and open these beautiful short stories that reflect the life or my life of living in the Central West. So being time poor, when I do get to treat myself, I played up this one pot wonder, a spicy chorizo and fennel pasta. It's simple and fast and doesn't use too many utensils or equipment around the kitchen, which means the cleanup is minimal. I'll be sharing the recipe with Sophie and Jermaine, so be sure to follow their socials to grab the recipe. Oh, and I usually pair this with a local wine. Our go-to currently is a Pinot Noir by the incredibly passionate Matthew Atella. His wines are handcrafted in small batches and have stunning flavor profiles. He's also doing completely contactless delivery. Okay, well, thank you so much, Megan. Um, we have come to the end of our first episode. Thank you so much um, to everybody for listening. Thank you, Jermaine, for doing this with me. I sent you this kind of idea as a bit of a crazy whim and lo and behold, you um, agreed to kind of to do it with me and I, I couldn't be more excited. Um, uh, we would love it if you have enjoyed today's... Oh, thank you, Sophie. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, it's um I couldn't imagine doing this with <laughs> anyone yeah, else. This is something I'd uh no, it's just such a lovely combination of of these um you know, of eating and, and reading and to be able to do this with you is um is a real thrill. It's something I never would have imagined having the opportunity to do. So um <laughs> I'm looking forward to many more books and recipes in our future. I know, I know. And um, as I said, we're going to have show notes, so we're going to put links to everything we've mentioned, all the recipes, the books, everything else. Um, we'll put them all together in our show notes. Um, so please, uh, we would really appreciate it if you have enjoyed our chat today, if you could um, subscribe to the podcast and please share it with a friend or rate or review, all those things that everybody always asks you to do. It does mean a lot for new podcasts and it helps other people come across us as well. And please write us a letter. Uh, we'll yes. also have our email addresses in the show notes. Uh, so, And also for those letters we read out, we've got a bottle of wine to send uh, from Single Vineyard Cellars, but we'll have more information about that in the show notes as well. So uh, we just look forward to, to connecting with everyone, really, and being able to continue the conversation about books and reading through your letters too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And we will see you in a couple of weeks with episode two. Thanks, Sophie. See you next time. See you. A big thanks to Smith & Jones, Bathurst duo, Abby Smith and Sophie Jones for providing the tune for our podcast. You can find their music on Spotify, Apple Music and wherever you get your music. smithandjones.net, that's their website and you can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. This is Secondhand Heart. Secondhand Heart.